Joining us now is a man who has had an amazing 21-year Major League Baseball career. He played for 11 teams, including both the New York Yankees and New York Mets. He appeared in 22 postseason games, including two games in the 2007 World Series. Over his career, he appeared in 1,042 games, 10th most all-time among pitchers. It is a thrill to welcome one of the most respected men in the game of baseball, LaTroy Hawkins. Welcome, LaTroy. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate that long introduction. Jeez, you make me feel very important. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, listen, you, your career is amazing, and AJ and I were talking yeah. about this this afternoon. Um, you're a three-sports star at West, High, West Side High School in Gary, Indiana. Aside from baseball, you also play basketball and football. So take me back to January 9th, 1990, to Roosevelt's Bone Mallard Gym, where a month after beating one of your fiercest <laughs> rivals, the Roosevelt Panthers, in the Gary Holiday Tournament, you face off against them again, and with 3.25 left in the third period, you get into it with a player that some of us might have heard of. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that game and who it was? I can't believe you went that far back and got that type of information, but that makes for for you doing definitely doing your job. So... Um, Glenn Robinson, who was the first pick in the 1994 draft, and I were, you know, same age, same grade, and we went to rival high schools in Gary, Indiana, and he and I got into a, a – he fouled me, and it's, it's still kind of blurry, but I, he fouled me, and I told him he better not foul me that hard again, and he asked me what was I going to do, and he pushed me, and then I swung on him, and then all hell broke loose. Both sides, um, I got thrown down by one of their uh, players who played at the University of Houston, and one of our point guards got trapped on their side of the court and got beat up pretty bad. But it was an ugly scene, and, you know, the older you get, you look back and it's like, wow, I was so stupid, <laughs> so stupid, working off emotions. And, you know, but he went on and had a great NBA career. I went on and had an MLB career, and you know what? This is the first time I actually talked about that in years. It's been a very long time. I actually got to send you the art because it, 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 it said that you pointed at him. It was, it was a pretty cool article. Um, you're, you're so good at basketball. Indiana State offers you a full scholarship to play basketball. A lot of major league teams start showing interest to in you in, as a baseball player in your senior year. I still have to imagine that that's like a very tough choice to make. What went into the decision to sign with the Twins after being drafted in the seventh round rather than take that scholarship? I was um, I was in my government econ class taking my final when the twins drafted me, and a young lady came into the, uh, my room. I was in Miss Boone's room, classroom economics, and she um, she went she came up to my desk and put a little piece of paper that you've been drafted in the seventh round by the Minnesota Twins. Didn't know what you know wasn't that big of a deal because I needed to pass this test, so I was locked in on the test. <laughs> but um, you know it was it was just. You know, I committed to play basketball, and once the scout got to my house a couple of days later, he started talking about money and getting to the big leagues and how fast I could get there if I develop like they think I will. And, you know, at that time, money sound, sounded a lot more attractive than going to sit in the classroom and to play basketball. And you know, my grandfather talked about it a few times, and one night we were downstairs shooting pool, he and I, and he said, you know what, you know you're a better baseball player than basketball player. You know that, right? I'm like, why do you say that? He said, because I've been watching you your whole life. And he said, also, you have a lot more, there's a lot more guys on a baseball team than a basketball team. <laughs> so if I was you, I would pick baseball. 
Very and good. that conversation right there was like what, you know, it was it was pretty 50-50, but once my grandf- I had that conversation with my grandfather, I chose baseball. Pretty wise man. But it's also interesting because, you know, when you look back at, at career, certain things change the, the projection of a player. How important was James Dye, the guy who coached the semi-pro Gary Cardinals, and your high school coach in your senior year, Leroy Kirk, to refining your mechanics back then to, to maybe catch the eye of all these Major League Baseball executives? Well, my high school coach, Coach Kirk, he knew nothing about baseball. <laughs> nothing at all. He was a football coach. And we didn't have a baseball coach, so he tried to learn as much as he could. He's an awesome dude, but he had he knew nothing about baseball. I was catch I was a pitcher. My brother was a catcher. I had a couple buddies on the team. Um, I would come in from pitching and keep score because we didn't have anybody to keep score. Our field was terrible, but uh, but Mister Die was like the main you know mentor in my life when it came to uh, playing sports. He was um, he had his own he did. He had a T-shirt shop in Gary where he did all those T-shirts for, you know, whoever needed bulk T-shirt with screen print, print on it. And he was, he was a physical therapist, and he had his own practice. So he, we talked a lot about mechanics. I remember my senior year in high school, he drove me down to Birmingham, Alabama, to do an analysis with uh, uh, Dr. Andrews wow. um, back in the day. So Mr. Dial was a huge influence on my life. He was my... Um, he was what they were called now my representative, my slash agent when I first started off. But, you know, he and I still talk to this day. Uh, when I'm in Gary and I had a basketball game or something, I run into him. We chit-chat. And I think he's coaching at Roosevelt High School now. Wow. I think he took that job, the baseball coach's job. You, know, you talked about your brothers, actually your half-brother, I guess. And uh, he was your catcher, and you played through high school with him. He was a younger brother. Now, he ended up having a very different path than yours. Do you think what might have happened – uh, had he been drafted or something and gone to pro baseball also? Um, he would have been pretty good. He was a really good athlete, definitely a really good baseball player. He was locked in on baseball while I was locked in on a couple other sports. So um, I think he would have. You know, Ronald went to prison. He did 24 years, and he's, he got out. I picked him up right after I left the Super Bowl this year. He was released on February the 5th, and – um, that's one thing about when you have family members that do time in prison, especially close, you do that time with them. And I was there for him every day. And, you know, we, I've been on the phone with him so much the last month. It's like, wow. <laughs> we caught up, you know, talking on the phone for the last 24 years. And now I get to pick up, pick up and call him every night, call him every morning. He texts me every morning. So he's getting himself back acclimated to society and, He's going to be one of those good success stories. Well, of course, you helped along with that. You paid for uh, two college degrees while he was in prison. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had the means to take care of him, which a lot of guys who go who are incarcerated, they don't have family that, that, that's able to take care of them. So, and my brother always told me, he said, you know, it really, it really means a lot because when you don't have any support from outside, you have to do things inside that will definitely get you more time. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking to LaTroy Hawkins. Uh, so you report to rookie ball in the Gulf Coast League as an 18-year-old. Corey Lytle, Brad Ratke are also on that team. You throw the third most innings on that team, and you had an okay season, but yet you found yourself back there again the next season, whereas most of those guys moved on to Elizabethtown, the Twins' Appalachian League affiliate in Tennessee. At that point, you really thought about quitting, but you called 
that wise man, your grandfather, to tell him <laughs> what was the advice he gave you at that point? I love you guys. You guys do your homework. I love it. Um, you know, back, uh, that was in 1992, and my, I had a good extended spring, and I had a really good extended spring, and when they drafted the new guys that June of 92, they sent all the, the new guys to Elizabethan, which is a step above Go Coast, Coast League, and that's in the Appalachian League. And I didn't go, and I was upset. It was myself and my really good buddy, Matt Lawton. We were upset. So I go in and ask for my release because I wanted to go to, you know, go to college and play basketball since this baseball thing wasn't working out. And they told me no. They wasn't giving me my release. And so I was upset about that. And I went home to my apartment, and I called my grandfather. And I was like, Granddad, I'm thinking about quitting because, you know, I told him a story about them, you know, drafting guys and put them ahead of me, and I had a good year, I mean, a good extended spring season. And he said, so when does school start? I said, it starts in late August sometime. And, you know, I talked to the coach, and I can, you know, I can still honor my scholarship. And he's like, well, oh, that's fine. I mean, it's up to you. You, I mean, you're at that age where you make decisions on your own. He said, but um, where are you going to stay at? Between now and when it's time to go to school, I was at, I said, at your house. He was like, no, 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 no. I don't let quitters stay at my house. And that's the reason why I continue to play baseball, because I didn't have anywhere to go <laughs> if I would have left baseball in 1992 for two months. I, I didn't have anywhere to go. Uh, I, I never met your grandfather, but I already love him to bits. Unbelievable. Um, you then, you know, after that pep talk from your grandfather, you start to climb up the Twins minor league ladder. And while you're in Double A, Double A, you get to pitch against a, a pretty unique baseball player, a guy named Michael Jordan. Now, I have to imagine, having grown up in Gary, Indiana, which is only about 30 miles from Chicago, you might have been a Michael Jordan fan back in the day. So what was it like getting the chance to pitch against Michael Jordan? Whoa, you're right, man. Growing up 30 miles from United Center, I was, and still am, like the you know one of the biggest Jordan fans. He was the the athlete of my era. And when I got to Double A, I didn't start in Double A in 1994. I started in Florida State League, and I was there for about six weeks. And then I got called up to Nashville to play in the Southern League, and he was in Birmingham, as we all know, and. They hadn't played Birmingham yet until I got there, and so they were on our schedule a lot, and I was only there for two months, and they were on our schedule like, you know, probably about five or six times, them coming to us, or we uh, we had to go to them. And I remember, like it was yesterday, um, I had pitched before I got there, so the day we got there, I was outside running, outside of the stadium, and I had my Walkman, headphones on, and I see this Porsche flying down the street, red Porsche, and he's bumping R. Kelly, I Love You, Sweet Satan, which is a remix of an older song. And I found that out from my grandmother. I Love You, Sweet called Satan. And it was about 2.15, and I said, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to be here at the same spot and see if he come ballpark at the same time, and I'm going to meet him. I'm going to ask him to sign a baseball I had all these things I wanted to do. So I finally mustered up enough courage. I was out there at the same time, flying, bumping the same song. 
And when he came to the gate, I was like, hey, Mr. Jordan, how you doing? My name is Latroy. I play for the Nashville Express. He's like, oh, man, young man, how you doing? I'm like, I'm doing great, man. He's like, you're my biggest. You know, I was, I turned into a fanboy real quick. And we got to talking, and I was like, so, I said, you mind signing my baseball for me? And he was like, no. And I was like, that's okay. It was for my mom anyway. He said, ah, I'm just kidding with you, young man. <laughs> and from that moment on, you know, he invited me into their clubhouse to come sit down and talk with him. Uh, one of my good buddies, uh, Tim Moore, who was our left fielder at the time, our right fielder, and Jordan was playing right field. They, it was a dirt spot at our stadium in Nashville where the right fielder always stood. It, so it was a little dirt spot. And they would play tic-tac-toe each inning. You know, make the tic-tac-toe. And, you know, when you're half in and you put your X, the other half in and you put your O. But he was a lot of fun. I mean, he was a lot of fun. And it was like one of those things, like, I still just laugh when I think about I actually pitched against Michael Jordan. The first time I said, my mom told me to throw you all fastball. He said, tell your mom I love her. <laughs> but the first time he had a base hit off of me. Had a base hit. And then the very next pitch, I picked him off first base. And then I think I struck him out the second time. Wow. That's awesome. And so fast forward to 2000, 2008, when I signed with the Yankees, I have to come to New York to do a physical. And I was supposed to come in that day and leave that evening. Well, I had to do a, a stress test, so I had to spend a night. I had to go buy some gym shoes and some shorts and all that because I didn't bring anything. And the next morning when the guy from the Yankees was picking me up to walk me over to the hospital to do my stress test, he said, I just saw Michael Jordan going to Barney's. And I was like, for real? I was like, I want to go in there and see if he's still in there. So I go in there, and he's at the register, and I'm waiting patiently. And I, he turned around. I was like, MJ, what's up, man? I was like, you remember me? He was like, hell yeah, I remember you. Hell, I still watch baseball. What's up, Latroy? Wow. And right there, I was like, I was blown away. I couldn't wait to call my mom and say, Jordan, remember my name after all these years. That, that, That's I just got all these years. I just got so, goosebumps. So, so how did that affect your stress test? <laughs> <laughs> I think I ran. I, I broke the chair at treadmill. <laughs> I was excited. All right, so now you make the Twins roster out of spring training in 95 when the teams were allowed to carry 28 players uh, due to the uh, – the, the strike-shortened spring training. You make your first major league start against the Orioles, managed by our good friend, Phil Regan, um, at the Minnesota Twins, you know, April 29th, 1995. You look back at that lineup, okay? The first seven batters, there's not an easy out in that lineup. Brady Anderson, Kevin Bass, Rafael Palmero, Cal Ripken, Harold Baines, Matt Noakes, and then throw in Andy Van Slyke on top of that. What do you remember <laughs> about the first game you pitched in the first of, as we, we said in the open, 1,042 games. You know what I remember the most when I sit back and think about it? And, I, and this goes back to right after that season. I never was nervous. And why? I have no clue. I was never nervous. When I got sent out and came back in September, that's when I got nervous. But the first time around, I did not get nervous in my major league start. And I knew they had a great lineup, and I, I found out real soon that I wasn't ready for the big leagues. <laughs> I found out very soon. But I remember I'm giving up seven or eight earned runs in a 
two thirds of an inning, an inning and two thirds, or something. It wasn't pretty, but it was one of those uh, major league starts you'll never forget either way. And just learning from, just looking from where I came from from my first start, you know, to my thousand forty second appearance in the big leagues went along came a long way. So when you, you say you learned you weren't ready for the big leagues. What did when they finally got sent back down again? Before you can hold it, what did you say? I need to work on. What was the lesson you took away? What specifically do you think you needed to do to get back? I needed to work on my off-speed pitches and my changeup. Coming up through the minor leagues, I had very good command, so I would, you know, fastball up, fastball down. I could throw the ball where I wanted to. Well, in the big leagues, that doesn't make a difference because everybody can hit up there and everybody can hit a fastball. And I didn't have a breaking ball. I had a breaking ball, but it was just okay. Change-ups, I very rarely threw change-ups in the minor leagues. We had a number, a certain amount of changes we had to throw every game. And when my buddy was keeping the keeping the the, um, the pitching chart, he would change fastballs and change-ups to make it look like I was throwing change-ups. So mm-hmm. I actually never really got working on my change-up. And once I got to the big leagues, I was exposed. And I didn't have anything to, to go fall back on but a fastball and Big league hitters love fastballs. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, too, because you, when you go back down there, Phil Roof was the manager there. He's a guy who caught some pretty good pitchers in, in his day. Uh, former Met Rick Anderson was the bullpen coach. What were some of the things they helped you with to get you back in that same year? You, you got recalled in September. Well, it was Andy, Rick Anderson. Um, he was my favorite pitching coach all the time because he, he knew LaTroy when he was an 18-year-old kid. He knew LaTroy's mechanics and LaTroy's mentality and LaTroy's makeup, and he knew all my bad habits and he knew all my good habits better than I did. And when you have a coach that can, that, that, you know, has vibes with you like that, um, good things are going to happen. And, you know, we got to work working on a breaking pitch. And it took me a while to develop a breaking pitch. We got to work working on a changeup. It took me a while to develop that. But – I had pitchability and I had a good feel that, you know, it was just a matter of time before I was going to get it. And, you know, nothing happens overnight. I always tell people, like, when you're going bad with your, when you're going good, you got good mechanics, and all it takes is one, one not so good movement to get you in some bad mechanics. But it takes forever. It takes a few weeks to get you back right. And, you know, he was always able to get me back right. And, helped me work on a, a slider and made me throw more changes even when I didn't want to. And some of those times, you know, my, my numbers suffered because he was preparing me for the big leagues and I didn't know he was. He was forcing me to throw breaking balls and behind and count changes when I didn't want to. So Rick Anderson was like the savior. He definitely helped me mentally and, and physically. So you come back, you get your first major league win, September 18th, 1995, against the Kansas City Royals. Interestingly enough, the guy who saved your first win would become a, a very good friend of yours and thus create an interesting link to a, a football MVP. So tell our <laughs> audience what you remember about your first win, who got that save, and your connection to this year's Super Bowl champion quarterback and how that came about. And what, I, I mean, that day must have been very special because you, you mentioned when A.J. asked you about your brother, that right after the Super Bowl. So, so walk us through that day as well and all the things that I just asked about. So uh, my first major league win was September the 18th. I didn't get the ball. I don't remember getting the scorecard, none of that, <laughs> so long ago. But 
I think I threw five innings, and one of my good my good friend Pat Mahomes, whose son is Patrick Mahomes, MVP mm-hmm. of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl champion, 2018, 2018 NFL MVP. He had he got to save that game, and and. I'm trying to think. Was Patrick? Patrick was born right around that time, also a couple of days later. So that was a, a really good time. You know, that September got my first win. His dad saved the game. He was born, and you know, the rest is history. I mean, we've been friends. We were friends before that, and we're still friends to this day. You know, my my brother, one of my brothers, is married to his niece. So, and they have two boys together. So our families are definitely intertwined. You, know, you talked about the things you learned in the minor leagues that got you back in the majors. Was there anything you learned about the process there that helped you over 21 years in the majors to adapt your game to, to your changing physical abilities to the changing game? I learned that I, you really have to take care of your body. You have to get your rest. You have to be recovery is is, is huge. And I know we talk about a lot of that stuff now because it's proven. But I always tell guys, I was doing that before I even knew that it actually worked because I felt like that's what I needed to do. And just the process of turning into a pitcher as opposed to just being a thrower, um, you know what, I took some hard, I had some hard knocks uh, learning that process through that process. You know, some days you have, well, you have a good day, you have a bad day, a good day, a bad day. And then you start having a few more good days, and then you mix in a bad day. But if you stay with the process and trust in what you've learned and trust in your ability and continue to work on your 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 craft, and my craft was pitching, not throwing, um, Tom Kelly used to always tell me, he's like, you know what, son, you keep working your butt off, it's going to work out. All right? And you stop working. If I ever think you stop working and you don't want to get better, you're going to be out of here. Keep working. And I think that was one of the, the other things that I really, you know, I talk about more now because the older, the older I've gotten, I understood how important it was to have a manager in your corner when you wasn't giving your chance to t- your team a chance to win every fifth day. And I still had the manager in my corner because he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Interesting. You know, and obviously all the foundations that were set in you provided you with the background to become one of the best mentors in, in the game of baseball. Um, I know that you spent most of 95 at Salt Lake, but how much time did you get with another guy that was considered a, a great mentor in Kirby Puckett? And what did you take from watching him go about his day-to-day business, even at the end of his career? Did you take anything from Kirby? Yeah, Kirby was our leader. He... Um he had that big, big personality. Uh, he cared for his teammates. He cared for people. And he never, ever met a stranger. He made everybody around him feel special. And, you know, myself and Matt Lawton, we were rookies on that team. And, you know, just to get a, you know, get a chance to play with uh, such an incredible human being was a blessing because, I mean, just watching him, he taught us how to be a professional. He taught us how to treat people. I mean, we hadn't lived long. We were 21, 22 years old. But, and we had some foundation to start with from our family. But, you know, having that presence in the clubhouse, him validating, you know, how you're supposed to be a professional, how you treat people was, 
you know, that was monumental for, for me in my, early in my career. We're speaking with Latroy Hawkins. So you mentioned Tom Kelly and a guy, how important it is to have a manager in, in your corner. First five years of your career, you appear in 98 games, all as a starter, including back-to-back years of 33 starts. 2000, Tom Kelly makes you a reliever. How did that come about, and how much communication did he have with you about that transition from starter to reliever? He didn't tell me anything that spring training. Um, I had some starts in spring training, and then I had some long release appearances in spring training and not knowing that that what they were you know what they had brewing so i make the team i get to minnesota and you know you do that workout before the season open in the home city and he calls me in his office and he tells me hey just want to let you know we're going to put you in the bullpen and i think you're going to be you're with your mechanics and your arm I think you're going to be pretty damn good out there. And I remember saying to him, like, all right, do I get to learn on the job or I got to go back to AAA? He's like, you get to learn on the job. And I was like, all right, I'm up for the task. Wow. I'm up for the, I'm up for the task. So, you know, what's really interesting is that the Mets and first-year manager Luis Rojas, whose father was your manager and his brother, your teammate when you were with the Giants, and Mets pitching coach Jeremy Hefner, who was once your teammate, most likely are going to have to make that call on one of two guys who have been starting pitchers most of their careers in Stephen Matz and Michael Walker, barring injuries. One of them is going to claim the fifth starter spot, and one will go to the pen, or one of them might be used as an opener with the other one coming in behind them. In any event, one of them is not going to be his normal role as a starter. As a guy who's gone through that, what is the most important tangible skill you need to make that transition? Um, I think it's a little different with those guys because they both had some uh, – you said Matson, right? Matt, Stephen Matt. Stephen Matt, yeah. They both had success at starting. I didn't have any success at starting. <laughs> That's why it was an easy transition for me. <laughs> but with both those guys, they've had success. But my, I think with them, uh, whoever wins, the, wins that, that spot – and the other one has to go to the bullpen. I think it's important to um, remember that you have to have the mindset that I need to do and I'm willing to do whatever is going to make this team better. Um, not get caught in your ego about I'm a starter, I'm this, I'm that. If he can do that, either one of those guys who have to take that, that role in the bullpen, if they can do that, they're going to be fine. But you always want to be the guy that says, you know what, I want to do whatever, you know, whatever this team needs me to do. And it's one thing saying it. There's a whole other aspect when you actually mean it, when you mean that. And, you know, a lot of times guys say it, they don't mean it. They're just trying to be politically correct. But I know one thing. When I said that, when they said, what's your role, what do you want your role to be, whatever, you know, whatever Tom Kelly felt I needed to be to make this team better. And if they could take that mentality – um, I don't think the transition will be too too tough. And they also have to get a routine. Whoever goes to the bullpen, they're going to have to find a routine and understand, like, if they do come in and the star, all the starters are doing well, you know, you're going to come in for one or two innings, not three, four, or five innings. So you got to figure out a – you're going to have to figure out a routine, a bullpen routine that's going to work for you and that's going to allow you to be ready to pitch, you know, every night uh, if it's possible. 
We mentioned the 22 post-game seasons you appeared in. I have to imagine the win against the Yankees in the 2003 ALDS, in which you pitched two scoreless innings, striking out four for the win, as well appearing in two World Series games, had to be pretty special moments for you. Where do those rank in your 21-year career? You know what? I, you know, I do a terrible job um, sitting back and thinking about my career and what what special games and things like that. I just do a terrible job because I would tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, every year, every day I spent in a big and major league clubhouse was special to me because of the friendships and the, and the people that I met. Um, so I don't have one particular game, not even the playoffs that I was like, whoa, playing in the world series was special um, because not a lot of people get a chance to, to experience that, that was special. But, I mean, just being in, and putting on a major league uniform for that long. and and But I will say this. I take more joy in being able to walk away from the game when I was still able to do it as opposed to somebody taking my jersey and telling me I wasn't good enough to do it anymore. So you mentioned that longevity, and with that longevity comes playing for a lot of managers. All right, so Tom Kelly, Ron Gardenhire, Dusty Baker, Felipe Alou, Sam Palazzo, Clint Hurdle, Joe Girardi, Cecil Cooper, Ken Maka, Ron Renicki, Mike Sosha, Terry Collins, Walt Weiss, John Gibbons. That's quite a list of managers. If you were to take the best traits of each of those, or some of those, to make one super manager, what traits would it be and from which managers? Uh, Dusty, his his ability to connect with everybody. I don't care where where you from on this planet. Dusty can connect with you. Um, Terry Collins, because of his 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 um, his competitiveness, he's a he's a guy who loves to compete, and you can tell. And when I when I played for T T C, he had calmed down completely from what <laughs> stories that I heard when he was with the Angels. For sure, <laughs> right? I heard some stories, and I always tell people, well, that's not the T C that I had the pleasure of spending a whole year with. and But I can tell just by our conversation, because we talked a lot, he loved to compete. He loved to compete. Um, Tom Kelly, I would take his mind, because he was brilliant. At his baseball IQ was off the charts. Um, hmm. Well, got so many I got to think about. Um, I like giving... I like old Gibbons. I loved his demeanor, his demeanor around the club, around the players, because he's from San Antonio, Texas, so he had a, <laughs> he had a, a demeanor that I was used to from, from living in Texas and seeing people that are really laid back and cool, but you can tell he's not the guy that you want to get upset. I like that part of Gibby. And, oh, one more. And Joe Girardi, his work ethic. Joe, Joe's work ethic was – and I'm sure it still is off the charts. I mean, once he locks in on something, he's going to be try to be the best at it. Or he's going to be the best at it. Whether it's managing, working out, you know, running. I mean, he was, you know, he was the only manager I've ahead that worked out with us in spring training. <laughs> he worked out. He <laughs> ran with us in spring training. He came in the weight room and got 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 busy in the weight room with us. All right, we got two more before we got to let you go. You've been outspoken on the Astros scandal. You called into question Mike Fires 
in integrity, according to a story published by Bob Nightingale in the U.S. Today, saying if he had integrity, why didn't you talk about it while it happened? You went on to say that you played in the steroid era. You weren't complaining what some of the guys were doing. Why are so many people upset? You look at it this way. Everybody is trying to do something to gain an advantage. They had the opportunity to use technologies. They did. They got caught. Um, did they take it too far? Sure. People lost their jobs. Some people might have lost their careers. Major League Baseball did a good job sending a message to the rest of the league that it would not be tolerated. They dropped the hammer. So the question for me is, as mm-hmm. a pitcher, if you knew that the team that you were facing was stealing signs, what would you have done as a pitcher uh, on the opposition? Change my signs. <laughs> made them more difficult for them to, to get. Because that's something like, if you're a pitcher and not a thrower, and if you're a catcher, and you're a catcher, like you can catch, not just you can do, you can catch and not hit or hit and you're a good hitter and an okay catcher, you know when guys are shouldn't be hitting certain pitches. You know what I'm saying? There's really good guys can really hit, and I don't care about the Astros banging on the garbage can. Those guys can still hit. They can hit. But if I throw a nasty pitch and a guy hit it, I'm thinking like, whoa, even when a guy's not on second base, I'm always thinking, well, let me change something up. Because I don't think pitchers or you know organizations, a lot of them don't take it serious how important it is to always be on your P's and Q's about sign stealing because it is a real deal, and it just didn't start in 2017. It's been going on forever. Has the technology got better? Yes. And we all know the technology has gotten better. So why disguising your sign is still back in the 70s and 80s? When I was with the Rockies, I called my own pitches. Rosario was my catcher. I called my own pitches because I didn't want anybody stealing my signs. And I had heard going into different um, stadiums, you hear, well, they're, they're, they're still, they steal signs. They do this, they do that. So, okay, in my mind, and I ain't the smartest guy, but I ain't the, the dumbest guy in the room either. You know what? Let's, find a, let's do something that we can combat that. And if you don't do that, you don't take your job serious. Nice. That's, that's just my take on it. <laughs> so lastly, uh, your playing career, after your playing career ended, the Twins hired you in an advisory role, which has included helping the Twins in spring training, in the minor leagues, the draft process, recruiting and free agency, and trades. Recently you've expanded that role into the TV broadcast booth. Which of those roles have you enjoyed the most? And given your baseball IQ and your leadership qualities, is managing something you might want to do somewhere down the road? So I answer that last one. I doubt if I want to manage. <laughs> I doubt it. Um, but with my job with the Twins, I enjoy the player development side of it. Um, I enjoy the process of going out, seeing a kid at 17, 18 years old, trying to figure out what type of player he's going to become in the next few years. I enjoy getting him in our organization and trying things with him and trying to develop him into a major league ball player and I and or making him into the best player that he can be with his guy getting given talent and some of the things that we can help him we can instill in him to develop. But I enjoy the player development side. I really enjoy working with our minor league kids. Um, I like make I mean minor league guys, but I enjoy working with all pitchers, whether it's the big leagues or the Dominican Summer League. I enjoy it. But player development is where, you know, I I really have my have a have a thumb on right now, player development. 
Latroy, we really want to thank you so much for the time you gave us tonight. And it's, you know, everyone talks about in the NFL the coaching trees and, and the different guys that have come through. If you take a look at the guys that you've sat with and mentored in the major league bullpens over the years and, and the impact they've had in the game, and now Jeremy Hefner is one of those guys here with the Mets who's now going to impact another generation of pitchers. It's unbelievable. I, I think that's going to be my next assignment. I want to take a look, look at all these guys that you've really impacted. Um, really, thanks so much. It's been a thrill to have you on with us. Thank you. And it's funny with, with Hefner, you know, like when he when I played with him with the, with the Mets, you know, I had an impact on his career. Well, when he came to work for the Twins and doing all the analytic and the, the pregame, you know, stuff for the hit pitchers, he helped my career, my after, you know, after baseball career. So it's amazing how it comes full circle. Awesome. Well, Troy, thanks a lot. Have a great night. Say hello to our, our good friend, Pat Mahomes, and uh, say hi to Patrick, one of our favorite athletes on top of it. All right. Thank you guys for having me. You got it. LaTroy Hawkins.